This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Hey, this is Jason Elam. Join Lola Robbins, Kyle Butler, and me for the Messy Spirituality Podcast, where we try to empower your spiritual evolution with honest conversation about how to be a better human, taking a critical look at toxic Bible stories, and look behind the headlines for growth opportunities underlying current events. Hey, it's a bisexual hairstylist who escaped a cult, a black mystic, and a recovering Southern Baptist preacher. What could possibly go wrong? Check out the Messy Spirituality Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Shane Claiborne, and I don't always drink a second cup of coffee, but when I do, I like to have it with Keith. In fact, I've tried to stop drinking coffee as much. I've got tea, but whatever you got, tea, coffee, water, orange juice, listen to Second Cup with Keith. Hello and welcome back to Second Cup with Keith. I am your host, Keith Giles, and in this episode, I wanted to um, respond to something that just happened recently here uh, in the news the last couple of, I guess, last couple of days, um, where I started seeing posts from people about how the rapture was supposed to happen, I think it was September 25th or 26th or something like that, and um, and so obviously, hey, you know, spoiler alert, no, it didn't happen. Uh, I think it's because it was Rosh Hashanah on the 20th, September 26th, 2022. Um, and of course, anytime anything happens around any sort of Jewish festival or feast or holiday, uh, Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur or uh, any of those, you know, festival of booths or those kinds of things, in any Jewish festival, Passover, etc., um, that's when evangelical dispensational Christians tend to start looking for signs and this could be it, you know, and, um, and honestly, I've already done an episode. So if you go back, I think episode seven, I did an episode on sort of the end times and all that. And of course I have a book called Jesus Unexpected where I go through the history of where this type of thing came from. So for example, around 18, I think it was 1830, something like that, a guy named John Nelson Darby invented what we now call end times rapture theory. Um, but before 1830, Christians didn't embrace this or believe this. So if you don't know that, it's good to know that, um, to understand that, you know, for about 1800 years, Christians didn't think this way. They didn't set dates uh, for the return of Jesus. They weren't looking for signs in the news. Uh, they weren't following, you know, the the blood moons or any of this nonsense. This is a modern thing. It's a recent thing. And but but of course, now that we do live in a world where American Christians are predominantly uh, people that embrace this end times dispensational rapture theory, uh, it's pervaded. It's it, it's just pervaded American evangelical Christianity and just even it, just Christianity in general. I mean, a lot of times people who aren't evangelicals, you know, you could be someone in some other Christian faith tradition, but because it's such a pervasive part of Christian thought, you know, it slips in because of things like the Left Behind series, uh, you know, lots of other films and, and books uh, and movies, things like this. So, but I, because this popped up again, uh, recently in the news, I I just wanted to do a, an episode uh, of Second Cup to address again this question. 
And here's here's the thing. I think that we, as Christians, we need to let go of all of this. We need to move on from this expectation that Jesus is going to show up any day now and make it all better or, you know, magically appear in the sky on a, on a, on a little you know, white horse and there's going to be a trumpet and then just instantly click overnight. Christians are going to be redeemed and healed and vindicated and proven right. See, we told you so. And all those sinners, all those other religions, they're going to quake in their boots and they're going to they're going to say, oh, crap. And, uh, you know, they're going to face the judgment. And then Jesus is going to set up this wonderful kingdom where we all get to celebrate and everybody else will have to suffer. That's not going to happen. Okay. Can I just say that is not in the future for, for anyone at any time ever. That's, that's a misreading of Revelation. That's a misunderstanding of those passages. And what it even means to talk about the second coming or the parousia, the coming of Jesus. So in the Greek, that term parousia is, is the Greek term that in your English Bible gets translated as uh, the return or the second coming, whatever, of, of Christ. And it just means presence. It's just talking about the presence of Christ. And so we're not waiting. Christians are not sitting around waiting for the presence of Christ. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So Christ is always, always present. Um, this is why over and over again, Paul can say in the New Testament that Christ is all and is in all, or that Christ is the one in whom we all Christians and non-Christians, we all live and move and have our being. Um, or as he says elsewhere, you know, we are filled with the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So that's the first thing. I think Christians, we just need to start right there. We need to start with the assumption that Christ is not absent. Christ is not away. He's not gone somewhere. We are not separated from Christ. We are not waiting for Christ to hurry up and get back because Jesus has never left and never will leave us. Um, a big part of the misunderstanding, in addition to all the dispensational uh, John Nelson Darby in Times Rapture nonsense um, that contributes to this way of thinking, is also the ways that we communicate or at least the ways that a lot of times pastors in their sermons will frame certain things. And they will talk about, they'll talk about God as if God is in heaven. Um, they'll talk about the afterlife as, well, you know, after we die, then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll move into our mansion in heaven. Um, and then and only then will we be in, you know, at home with Christ or in the presence of God. And that is, again, that's, that is incorrect. That is the wrong way for us to think. Uh, so what I would like to do in this podcast, and I'm trying to do it in other ways too. I'm trying to do it in my books and my blog posts, um, all the other different podcasts, uh, that I, 
co-host as well. I'm wanting to bring us to an awareness and an understanding and a normalization, if you will, of Christ as with us, right? What is the name of Jesus, right? One of the names of Jesus that's given to us in the Gospels is Emmanuel, which translates to God with us. So Jesus is God with us. Christ is Christ is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Christ is not far from us. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, when Jesus says, If I go away, I will prepare a place for you that where I am, you can be also. He is not talking about uh, a place in heaven. He's not talking about a place that we will meet him after we die. And I just encourage anyone, read the Gospel of John. Read chapter 14 and try to follow the logic and the train of thought. In the beginning of that chapter, Jesus is talking about the Father. Uh, one of the disciples says, show us the Father. Jesus says, I've been with you all this time, and you don't know me? Because if you know me, you know the Father. So Jesus you know, establishes, I'm going to the Father, and if you know me, you know the Father. Then he says, I'm going to prepare a place that where I am, you'll be also. But then a little bit later, he affirms this idea that if anyone loves him, that he and the Father will make their home in us. And so where is the place that Jesus is? It's in us. Where, where has Christ made a, a space or made his home? Where is the place that, that Jesus says he and the Father dwell? Well, it's in us. That's what he says in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. So when we, when we ask ourselves the question, well, where is God? Where is Jesus? Don't point to the sky. He's not up there, far away, somewhere. Jesus says that he has made his home in us. He and the, he and the Father both make their home in us, right? So this is why Jesus can say, um, in that day you will know that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and I am in you. When he can say things like, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. So again, what Jesus emphasizes over and over again, and what Paul also emphasizes, and other New Testament authors emphasize, is the idea that right now, our actual reality at this very moment is, that Christ and the Father make their home in us. Jesus is the one, Christ is the one, however you want to express that. We can we can get into this whole thing too about it when we say, it's probably more accurate to say Christ. Um, but that Christ is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And so it's impossible for us to be separated from Christ. So we are not separated from Christ. We're not waiting for Jesus or for Christ to show up because he never left. And his home and the Father's home is with us. Um, I know I've said this before as well, but this is a straight line through the concept of moving towards a new covenant reality, which again Jesus says he came to establish. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, 
which was the promise of the Old Covenant, he fulfilled that. And he said that once he fulfilled it, it would pass away. Yes, he did. <laughs> That's what We've also covered that in a previous episode as well. Um, this idea that Jesus says, you know, that the reason he came was to fulfill the law and the prophets. And then he says, it will not pass away. The law and the prophets will not pass away until he does that. You know, and until all is accomplished. So there are two qualifying statements, two until statements. And then the implication is, well, once he accomplishes his mission to fulfill the law and the prophets, then and only then will it fade away. This is why Paul says in two different places that the old covenant, uh, the law and the prophets, are vanishing, are fading, uh, are obsolete. Are, the author of Hebrews says it's uh, obsolete. That the old covenant is obsolete. And what we have now is a new covenant reality. And the new covenant reality is a reality where God and the uh, God and Christ and the Spirit of God. So you want to think in Trinitarian terms. Maybe they're all the same thing. Maybe they're three expressions of this of, of, of one one thing. Uh, maybe that's another episode. We can get into that later. The relationship between Jesus and Christ and between uh, Christ and the Father and the Spirit. Maybe we'll deal with that uh, in a future episode. But for now, however you think of God, that God, the, the, the whole point of the New Covenant is that everyone will know God, right? God says in Jeremiah, it's repeated in again in Hebrews, uh, that this promise of the New Covenant is that no one will ever need to say again to their neighbor, know the Lord. Why? Because everyone now has the the ability and the potential of knowing God themselves directly. They don't need a priest. They don't need a temple. They don't need a sacrifice. They don't need a religious system. They can simply, on their own, experience the presence of the living God, the God in whom we all live and move and have our being. That's the new covenant. That, by the way, is what every Christian is affirming every time they drink the cup drink the juice, and eat the bread or the wafer or whatever it is. Um, every time you share communion, you are affirming that Jesus said, these elements are the new covenant, right? Uh, the, the inauguration of this new covenant reality. And so, as people who now live in this established new covenant reality, which is true whether you are a Christian or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, like it or not, as Paul said to the idol-worshipping pagans in Athens, uh, this unknown God, unknown to you, uh, is the one in whom we all live and move and have our being. This God, whose name you don't know, is your Father, loves you, cares for you, blesses you, and hopes that you might turn and know and seek after this God who, who loves you and cares for you, who will never leave you or forsake you, etc. And so this is the reality that we live in. And so if we can start here, if we can really, really meditate on that and establish that and get that and understand Christ is here. Christ is with us. Christ is surrounding us and permeating us. Uh, we are filled with the fullness of this Christ. This Christ fills everything in every possible way. 
then I think if you really get it, if you really, really establish in your mind, put a stake in the ground and say, okay, this is the truth. This is reality. God is with us. Christ is with us. Christ is within us and surrounding us. Christ is the one who holds all things together. Christ is the one in whom we all live and move and have our being. Christ is the one who said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Christ is the one who said that the Father and I will come and make our home within you. And you abide in me, I will abide in you. There is this, uh, there is no separation. Right? We talked about this a couple episodes ago uh, in the Gospel of Thomas. This message. Then if we really honestly get that, if we embrace that, if we accept that, then the idea that Jesus needs to come uh, falls apart. What do you mean Christ is going to come? He never left. Um, and so the way I like to express it is when we talk about, when we think about, and when we, if we read scriptures in the New Testament that talk about this idea of the um, the return of Christ or the presence of Christ or this this idea of a second coming of Christ. Well, what it's saying is it's the coming of Christ in you. It's the awakening, the realization that Christ is in you. So if Christ is alive in you, if you acknowledge that, if you recognize that, if you say Christ is alive in me right now, then has Christ come to the earth? Yes, because Christ has, is alive in you, and Christ is alive in me. And that means Christ is in the room that you're in right now. If you, wherever you work, Christ is there because you're there. Wherever you go to school, Christ is there because you're there. Any room you're in, Christ is in that room because you're in the room. And everyone else is too. Right? It's not just you. But, but as Christ becomes, um, as I guess I should say, as we become more aware of Christ within us, because Christ is there whether we're aware of it or not. But the more we are aware of Christ's presence, the more we allow the presence of Christ then to, to take charge, right? To be led by the Spirit of Christ. And we become people who embody the second coming of Christ. That's really what we should be doing. So, you know, this idea of, well, you know, is... um. Is Jesus going to return on September the 25th because it's Rosh Hashanah? Well, no, but yes, um, but not the way you think. See, typically when those kinds of prophecies are made, again, it's all about the end of something, right? It's the end of the world. It's the end of life as we know it on planet Earth. It'll never be the same again because Jesus is going to blow that trumpet and Split the sky, and you know, the heavens will be rolled back as a scroll, and that's the end of history. It's not going to be like that. That is not what the coming of Christ looks like. The coming of Christ looks like a transformation of individual people, and then a transformation of the of the uh, of the culture, of the environment, of the atmosphere in which those those people inhabit, because they have been transformed by Christ, and the world around them becomes permeated with this transformative power of Christ as well. So that's the way I, I believe that's the most the more accurate way to think about 
the coming of Christ. And so, you know, I, I always say there's more of Christ in the world today than there than there was 2,000 years ago. And I mean that in, in different ways. I think when I first used to say that, I used to think of it in terms of, well, if Jesus was the Christ, then when Jesus showed up, there was only one Christ. It was him. And then, then you know, at Pentecost, the Spirit of God is poured out on all flesh. And then there were, what, a couple of thousand? And now there's, then there were hundreds of thousands. And now there's millions of people in the world. Um, so yes, in that sense, there is more of Christ in the world today in the sense that more people are aware of Christ, uh, of being alive in them, within them. Which is funny, though, which is, in, in a weird way, though, there's a whole lot of Christians who don't realize this. And that, that, to me, is so ironic and very sad. How many Christians don't understand that Christ is alive within them? Even within them, right? I mean, they don't even get that Christ is alive within them. But then, of course, then they also don't realize that Christ is alive in everyone. Christ is uh you know, he's the one in whom we all live and move and have our being. Christ is the one who fills everything in every way. They don't get that either. So I guess we have a lot of work to do, right? Uh, it seems like here we are 2,000 years later, and even Christians don't seem to get some of the most, um, I mean, the most basic things that Jesus and Paul uh, said, right, that they taught. They are still wrestling and struggling. There's because there's still this, this exclusionary way of thinking that um, that only Christians are in Christ and only Christians. So, so we make it now about what we believe and we have the right doctrines and we have the right belief systems and and um, theology and all that. When of course Jesus and Paul don't ever make it about that. They never say only those who uh, believe this way or or accept these theologies or beliefs. They are the only ones in whom Christ is going to live. No, <laughs> that that's actually not at all what it says. Um, but again, I, I understand the struggle because I myself have had that struggle, right? It took me a while to get to the place where I could really truly embrace it. And it's because it's what we call deconstruction, right? Talked about last time. Thinking through some of these things and reaching a place where you can kind of finally say, huh, yes, okay. Um, it does seem that this sort of exclusionary way of thinking isn't compatible with the way Jesus and Paul really taught and really spoke. Um, there is this sense that that everyone is in Christ, Christ is in everyone. And so uh, I would love if Christians could reach a place, and not just Christians, everyone, if we could reach a place where we understood that God is within us and within everyone. The other thing about it is that I think it's so beautiful because if we can really embrace this idea that that in everyone we meet is this is the presence of God. I mean that's that's a holy thing. That's a beautiful thing. Everyone then has this spark of the divine within them. And no one has it to any degree more or less than anyone else. We all have it. That means we're all connected. We're all holy. We're all loved. We are God's beloved. We're all brothers and sisters, right? We're all in the same family. So, yeah, 
it's frustrating to me when I see people posting these kind of things like, is Jesus going to come back? Is this, is the rapture going to happen on this date? And of course it never does. You know, <laughs> the list, the, the, the list of failed prophecies um, is endless and continues, continues and continues on, right? There will always be somebody. In fact, in my book, Jesus Unexpected, I had an appendix where I dealt with the whole blood moon thing. Because, I mean, at the moment, there's no one pushing the whole blood moon uh, prophecy thing. But it comes back around, it seems, like every decade or so. So it'll pop up, and then people will write books about it, and it'll get super popular. And it'll sell a lot of books. Here's the thing. Man, it sells a lot of books. But then, of course, it doesn't happen. And then people drop that for a while. But they they have short-term memories, right? So after 10 or so years, somebody just kind of picks that whole blood moon prophecy thing up and dusts it off and slaps another coat of paint on it and has a new date and gives you 88 more reasons why it's going to happen for sure in this particular date. And of course it won't happen, but it doesn't matter because in the meantime you sold a crap load of books. And uh, sadly, it seems like that's kind of the only, the only goal and purpose. Again, make no mistake, this whole end times rapture thing is a moneymaker. It really is. Uh, I mean, let's just say my book hasn't been, my book on this topic has not become a huge moneymaker because I'm, I'm not telling people what they want to hear. I'm telling them that the whole thing is nonsense. So unfortunately, uh, my book has not caught on the same level of excitement as, let's say, Late Great Planet Earth or Left Behind series or something like that. Although I, it's one of my things where I'd always wanted I still do. One of these days, I, I might, I might at least try and see if I can pull it off. I want to do. I want to advertise like an end times prophecy conference. You know what I mean? Um, but make it sound like and look like those typical sort of end times prophecy revelations, brand new revelation, uh, and just get all those people that really buy into this end times dispensational rapture theory stuff. Uh, like those are the people I want to attend. I would want them to show up, right? But then once I had them in the room, I would love to just do a presentation where point by point, I just show them how all of this stuff is nonsense. And a friend of mine have told me that if I did do that and I got a room full of people, I better have a car uh, running out the back door in the alley ready to go because they're going to come after me and try to kill me. Uh, and maybe that's true. I don't know. Maybe I could pull it off. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't work. I don't know. It's just a, it's just a dream of mine. I would love to be able to at least try to show people that are crazy about all this end times prophecy nonsense, right? That, um, first of all, I'd like to show them what apocalyptic hyperbole is, connected to the Old Testament, number one. Number two, I'd like to show them, I'd like to explain to them that John Nelson Darby invented this stuff in the 1830s. Before him, no one really believed this stuff. This is all very new stuff. Um, then I would like to show them, uh, like, point by point, how all these prophecies that they think say X, Y, and Z, you know, stuff in Daniel or Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, uh, Revelation. I'd like to just go through First Thessalonians, all that, and just point by point show them how the scriptures don't say what they've been told they say. Yeah, who knows? I don't know if I could ever pull that off. It may be the last thing I ever do. Right? How did Keith die? Well, that's how he died. <laughs> He was doing this conference and he showed people all this stuff and then they ripped him to pieces. 
I don't know. Maybe we'll do that. For now, I'm just going to sit behind the safety of my podcast microphone and record this on my laptop and post it out there for everybody to hear. So at the, I guess you know, the bottom line is what I, what I would want to encourage everybody is let's let go of this idea of we need Jesus to come back because he never, he never left. This idea that we need Christ to come and fix things when Christ is in you. And Christ is in me. And if what you really desire is for Christ to permeate your life and your world, then just sit back and, and invite Christ to do that. Begin to live the life of Christ as Christ lives his life in you. That is how Christ comes. This is how Christ um, accomplishes you know, the prayer that, the, that um, God's kingdom Will will be done, you know, his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. It, it, that happens as we individually submit and surrender ourselves to the heart of Christ, the will of Christ, the love of Christ, the, the, the transformational power of Christ in our own lives. And then we begin to walk that out and live that out in our own life. That is how Christ comes. And in that sense, Christ is coming every day. Christ is coming. Constantly, uh, the presence of Christ is, as I said, greater now on planet Earth than it ever has been. And whether that's Christians or not, uh, I don't. I don't really care. I don't think God cares if you call it Christ or if you call it by another name. That doesn't really matter. What what matters is is the Spirit of the Living God permeating the hearts and minds and lives of human beings on this planet. To the, to the end of uh, drawing us nearer to God and drawing us nearer to one another as a result, teaching us what it means to love one another, what it means to love others as we have been loved. Again, the more we're doing that, the more we are fulfilling all that is required, all that is expected. The more we are moving towards and embracing this idea that God is love and that all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. Again, no qualifiers there about religion, about ethnicity, about belief systems, or theology, or any of those things. Very simply, God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. And that is the way we should think about reality. And again, if we're, the more we can do that, the more silly and ridiculous these kinds of things will be to us. We will not for a second wonder, oh, do you think Jesus is going to come back? Do you think the trumpet's going to blow? Do you think that, do you think all this end times stuff's going to happen? No, you won't even for a second think that. Because uh, you will say, yeah, all of that stuff got made up just a few years ago by some guy who fell off his horse and hit his head on a rock. I'm not, I'm not making that up. That's exactly what happened. So, no, I don't believe that. I'm not going to live my life in fear. Um, and I'm not expecting the ending of something. I am expecting the beginning of something. I'm not expecting the end of the world, the end of history, the end of time, the end of life as we know it. No, I'm expecting the coming of Christ moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, that more and more and more, the loving presence of Christ permeates all things, 
And this is the beginning of something. It started 2,000 years ago, and it's it's inevitable, I would say. It's never going to stop, never going to end. Nothing is going to hold that back. Um, and that's what I want to be a part of. That's what I want to spend my time focused on. Uh, not being afraid, not being worried, because yeah, none of that stuff has any basis in reality. Anyway, so I hope that's helpful. And uh, if, if you would let me know, uh, again, I love reading. I've been going to uh, Apple Podcasts and reading some of the comments. Thank you so much. Many of you have left some really wonderful comments. So please rate and review the podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts. It's the number one platform. It really means a lot for you to rate and review the podcast over there. Um, I also really would like to know if there's any topic that I haven't covered or something you'd like me to go deeper into please let me know. I, I want this podcast to be helpful and informative and educational. So if, you, if there's anything you'd like me to talk about in an upcoming episode, uh, shoot me a note. Let me know. You can leave it in the comments uh, over on the Apple Podcast as well. Uh, again, if you're also if using the app, the Ethos Radio app on your phone, go to, go to the App Store and download Ethos Radio app, and it'll have a uh, second couple of Keith on there as well. You can do that as well if you prefer to listen that way. And that's free. Uh, either way, uh, however you listen to podcast, I just want to say thank you for listening. Uh, and I, I guess we'll see you again next time on Second Couple of Keith. Take care.